You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld, your host. My guest today is Brendan Jarvis, managing founder of The Space In Between. Hi, Brendan. Hey, Lou. How are you doing? Great. It's great to have you on the show. Um, talking to me from Auckland, New Zealand, uh, a place that I've had really good Thai food in. I'd like to have some more of that one of these days. So maybe you'll, <laughs> you'll figure out a way to get me down there. Uh, but um, uh, Brendan is a, um, uh, a user experience researcher. That's uh, what he does at the Space In Between. It's a specialist UX research practice and lab down in Auckland. I shouldn't say down in, but there I go. I'll probably do that again. <laughs> He's also the host of the uh, Brave UX podcast, where in conversation with a diverse range of world-class design leaders, as well as me, uh, Brendan has been exploring at depth the, the latest thinking and important issues affecting UX. Uh, Brendan, you um, were easily the most prepared uh, interviewer I've ever encountered, and I really enjoyed the podcast because I didn't really have to explain much you already knew it, and you, in many respects, knew it better than I did because I forget pretty much ninety <laughs> percent of what's happened to me. Uh, and you remembered it, or you researched it quite well. And now here you are, where you're in the we we basically switch seats, and you're this is like your first podcast interview where you're the subject, right? Yes, this is this is the case, and I am the tables have turned. I am now in the hot seat, and I have to say, it's much more comfortable being in your seat, Lou, when you're the one with the questions to ask. Well, do you want to switch? I had such a good time <laughs> might, last time. <laughs> might take me a while to get to New York, but you know we'll see. Oh, we could shoot. Yeah, let's do that too. Um, <laughs> well, Brendan is um, going to be speaking at Design at Scale which is taking place in early June. He's actually speaking on June 8th. And uh, his talk is about questions. And it's not surprising given what a, a gifted interviewer he is. Um, the conference itself is really uh, centered on taking a, a look at the lessons and, and travails and, and challenges that we've all faced in the last two, two three years. I mean, and there's just so many, and it just seems like every time um, we think things might settle down, um, they don't. And, well, what we're going to try to learn from those last two or three years where so many things that were happening anyway accelerated and take those lessons um, and put them together, use the, the conference as an opportunity to have things settle in and pivot to thinking about how things will change in our practice as designers and as UX people in the years ahead. And Brendan, you interviewed me and many other people, some real true design leaders, um, because you're really interested in questions. And why don't you talk a little bit about that series of podcasts, the Brave UX podcasts you've been doing? What's behind them? And what are some of the questions that are coming to the fore? Yeah, so there have been a number of questions that I personally have been wrestling with over recent years. I mean, the pandemic has clearly been a catalyst for many people 
to consider who they are and what they're doing on this planet and whether or not the status quo that we currently exist in is, is good enough for what we want for the future. And this podcast series actually started prior to the pandemic. It was oct October, um, uh, I think it was 2019 when I first kicked it off. And it was really me just trying to get to greater depth in the conversations that I was having in, in my life. And clearly it's a field that I'm, I'm quite passionate about, UX. But the kind of conversations that I was I was having in my my regular day to day were not necessarily at the level of depth that I felt that that I was keen to to go to with people, and so I started to seek out people such as yourself and others to really have these critical conversations about design, where it had been in the past, where it is now, and where we might go to next. So. Um first question is how did you select those people yeah that's a good question i think the the thing that i first looked for in my guests was did they have a unique perspective a unique point of view and that didn't necessarily have to come from you know the the length of the road that they traveled so far but it was definitely something that personally I'm very much drawn to as people who have a considered, well-thought-out, unique perspective about who they are, the role they play, and the discipline or the field that they operate in. So that was really the thing that was front of mind for me. Um, so um, this is kind of digging in a little bit, but it's important to, to know how you curate, how you, you've determined whom would be interesting to learn from. What constituted a unique perspective from, from your perspective? Yeah, so I spend a, a lot of time looking at who might be on the show. I spend time, even before I invite them to be a guest, looking at their previous talks, reading, you know, synopsis of their books, those sort of things. So I get a real feel for, for who they are before I even ask them to, to go on the show. But the, the other things that have been really, I, I suppose, f front of my mind when I've been considering who's a guest and who to invite is who's not often given the platform that they deserve. And this is, I suppose, this is a question that I may explore in my talk, which is who's not in the room and what should we do about it? And I mean, it's no surprise I'm a, I'm a more approaching middle-aged white male with a beard. You know, there are many people like me. I'm not suggesting that our perspectives aren't important, but I certainly have taken a position with this podcast to ensure that the people that appear on it as guests are not just uh, from a homogenous group who who um, have been well represented in the past. So I make a, a big effort to ensure that we're getting a, a real and true diverse range of perspective on the podcast. Well, I suspected that was um, your, your, your approach, and I'm really glad to hear it. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that at your presentation at Design at Scale. Um, but I'm, you know, as someone who's also a curator, I'm very interested in the question of representation. It's a hard one, and you can see it through many different lenses. DE&I's is just one, and that's one that itself is interpreted in many different ways. 
in different places. Um, so, for example, um, I was working uh, with one of our conference curation teams on uh, the um, the call for pre- uh, presentations form that we put out that um, we try to learn a bit about people's backgrounds and um, their identities and their, and what makes their perspective uh, uh, a little different. Um, and um, we decided to use a, a taxonomy of categories. Um, but the first um, thought uh, was to use the U.S. Census Bureau's taxonomy, which is, as you might gather, very U.S.-centric. Um, uh, when you are thinking about this, and uh, for listeners, just a reminder that Brennan's coming to us from New Zealand, what's the, like, how do you, how, what's the sort of big picture of how you see different perspectives? I'm wondering if it's very different than, let's say, someone like me, a white guy with a middle-aged white guy with a beard in the United States. Yeah, and the American cultural context and the racial reckoning that's been happening in America is something that I have only been able to see as in terms of an observer being from the other side of the world. And it's something that I'm particularly conscious of and is something that I also think is quite telling for the rest of the democracies around the world, even if we haven't had quite the same struggles with with race as America has had. But in terms of the way that I have been framing this, I, I wish I could say that I had a more considered approach. But what I have been doing is periodically I go through my guests and I look at whether or not the representation is a diverse representation and I make forward plans in who I'm approaching and inviting to ensure that it's not just race and gender, but there's also neurodiversity, which is is quite an important topic. And I've had a number of guests on the podcast recently who have spoken about those perspectives as well. So I, I do have a range of categories. You know, you spoke about the sort of census playing a role in how you approach things. Um, I've made my own my own system up. I would say is probably the best way I could. I could uh, communicate that. But I also have to say that I, early on in the podcast, was someone called me out, actually. It was a, it was a, good, a good friend of mine um, who I've done a bit of work with in my earlier career here in New Zealand. And she's a woman of color. And she suggested to me that I wasn't doing enough in terms of the diverse range mm-hmm. of mix of guests on my show. And at first, you know, I had this initial reaction where I was, I felt quite... Uh, affronted and then I sat with that and I took some space you know I, I took some time to think about well, why did I feel like that and she was right you know she was she was right you know the gender just the gender um, gap at that stage in terms of the guests on the show when we we're about 30 episodes or so in was something like 38 percent female mm. you know se- uh, what, what does that make it 72 62 male yeah. 62%, right? So that's a poor, that's a, you can tell I'm not a mathematical person. So that's a that's that's really telling, right? And even though I was saying that I was, in my head, I was telling myself the story of I'm making the effort here, it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And and it's often, uh, it's on, it was on me to actually set that right. And I, and I, and I feel like that's something that I took, really took on board and it's something that I'm really quite meaningful about in terms of my approach to 
reassessing on a regular basis who's on the show and whether or not that actually represents our industry. No, that's that's great to hear. It's very thoughtful and and um, you know it 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 makes me feel good. I, it, because we have similar challenges with our conferences and um, you know there's a lot um, of uh, I was going to say inside baseball, but that's absolutely the wrong metaphor to use. Uh, a lot of um, complexity um, when it comes to how to ask questions of people in ways that help them describe themselves. So, you know, uh, mm. we use an open-ended question traditionally, but now we're using categories, but we would not use, I just want to be clear, we would not use the U.S. census precisely because it's so U.S.-centric. And so, um, you know, the effort we've been making to find uh, other sources to source, essentially, um, taxonomies from third mm. parties that are global and uh, at least well-tested, it's it's quite a process but in your case you've done a great job on your own from what i can see um and your questions have really if i understand it been geared towards surfacing the questions your guests have is that the the Mm. subject of your presentation at design at scale yes it is so i'm i'm going to be exploring the questions that we're currently asking or not asking as a field and the role in those questions or the ones we're not asking and framing what the future of this field looks like. You know, the question is such a important, critical, humble, sometimes overlooked tool that we have, not just as designers, but in, in any field that attempts to create something new. It's not just us, you know, science, it's the basis of science. But it's also a tool that can be misused by, as I mentioned, not asking certain questions or framing questions in certain ways that limit the potential range of responses that we have. And so I really want to cast a a light on some of those big questions that have come up from my interviews with these design leaders that are definitely on people's radar but perhaps we're not actually putting the action behind the answers that we need to as a field. We're going to dig into some of these questions right after the break. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Lou, and I want to put in a plug for a very special experience that Rosenfeld Media is putting on. It's the Design at Scale 2022 conference. It's taking place June 8th and 10th, and it will be 100% virtual. Why are we doing this conference? Well, first of all, it's the latest edition of a conference that's taken a lot of different shapes uh, over the last seven or so years. It was the Enterprise UX conference for a while, then it was Enterprise Experience, and the last couple of years, Design at Scale. Uh, this year in particular, we are looking back at the last couple fun years we've all been having taking the lessons, looking at some of the challenges, pulling together and distilling what we've learned and using what those lessons are to help map a a path forward. So look at this conference in a way, if you work in a large organization as a designer or researcher, what have you, as an opportunity to reflect and then pivot 
and take what we are covering in these three days and arm yourself to move forward. That's what Design at Scale is going to be about. Uh, if you want to know the themes, the first one, we have a whole day on this, is design practices in times of crisis. The second day is all dedicated to design processes for a new normal. And the third day, the third theme, is design people caring for individuals and teams. If this sounds up your alley, come to the website, designatscale.co, check out the program. I think you'll be impressed. And again, we do virtual really well. I think you'll enjoy the experience. I hope we'll see you June 8th through 10th at Design at Scale 2022. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. My guest is Brendan Jarvis. We are talking about questions, specifically questions about questions. So, Brendan, you've done something like, what, 75 interviews with a lot of interesting people in the, in the field of user experience. And um, this is really what your talk's going to be about at Design at Scale. What are the big questions that we need to be asking? And um, maybe you haven't identified them yet, but I'm sure you're seeing some interesting trends and patterns and maybe a few that have really stood out for you that have made you pause and, and think. What's coming up for you? Yeah, there, there are a few that have surfaced and I am fairly early on in bringing this talk together, but there are some things that have really stuck with me in the conversations that I've had. And I'll give you some examples of what those things are and I'll frame them as questions as well. So we've already spoken about who's not in the room and what should we do about it? But there are other really important questions as a field that we need to get to, and we need to get to some answers fairly quickly. Things like what happens when we don't design with the second order effects of our designs in mind? And in particular, I'm reminded of a story that came to light actually recently in an interview with Amy Jimenez Marquez, who used to be the head of design for Alexa's personality team mm -hmm. for Amazon. And there are so many good stories that Amy has to tell. Oh God, but yes. this one, yeah, like really. She she met um, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, Sir Patrick Stewart, which is one of them, but that's not the Oh, my neighbor. Oh, I didn't know that. Is he? Cool. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. Yep. I'm very jealous anyway. But the, the, the story that Amy told me was related to her time working on Alexa and just the amount of abuse that would get leveled at Alexa. And in particular, it's probably no surprise that most of that abuse came from men. And this then reminded me of a conversation I'd had with Eva Penzi Moog, who wrote a book called Design for Safety, where she explores how technology can be weaponized in ways that we didn't intend when we were walking our happy path as designers when we first put the design together. Coming back to Amy, the team there, particularly the, the, the woman on the team, became increasingly uncomfortable with Alexa's inability to defend herself hmm. from these vile things that people were saying. And this actually went all the way up to senior leadership within Amazon, where they were proposing that Alexa could have a voice to respond to this type of vile input. And it was decided within the business that nothing was to be done about this. So what happens when you say something to Alexa that Alexa doesn't want to respond to or can't respond to is you just get that doo -doo sound. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to, the design team really wanted to give her some agency in how she responded to this, uh, to this abuse. 
and it didn't happen. And that left a, you know, that's a business decision, but it left a really uh, sour taste in the mouth of the people, particularly women who had to work on this team and were aware about the amount of abuse that got leveled at Alexa. So those are the sort of things that we need to be asking more about earlier on, you know, in terms of our second order effects of the consequences of our designs, because it's often easier for us to address them early before something ships than it is when it's already out there and in the wild and the expectation has already been set. Wow. Yeah. Amy's told me some interesting stories. That's one that, uh, that's new for me. Um, and, uh, um, I, I think I've had her on the podcast. I, I, I've done so many. I'm not remembering everyone we've had, but uh, I should get her on because there's uh, some interesting issues, not only around agency, but about the, uh, well, I guess you would say the anthropomorphication of the bot in the first place. Why was it female, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know why it was female? No market research i asked amy this i said well why why was it gendered why is alexa gendered and uh it's the voice the voice that was chosen because it performed the best in market research and also interestingly is in terms of an aside uh what alexa represents really was jeff bezos's attempt at bringing the computer from the next generation Mm. to life in people's homes. And so initially, Alexa wasn't supposed to ha even have a personality. So if you watch Next Generation Star Trek, you know, the computer's very much um, on the level. It doesn't really have any highs or lows in terms of how it interacts with you. Um, but thankfully, that was something that didn't test very well. So Alexa ended up having a bit of a personality to her. What about other questions that you're seeing? What's, what's been really making a dent for you? There's a big question at the moment about how design is best to get a seat at the table. And this is a question that has been on designers' minds for some time now. And many designers have worked very hard over a long period of time to, I suppose, increase the esteem, the credibility, the impact that design has had in enterprise to warrant that seat. And the question that comes to mind for me here is even when we have it, we don't seem to be all that happy with how things are playing out at that table. Mm. And I watched a, I watched a recently, it was a TED talk actually that Li Lily Singh gave at um, TED Woman, I think in December, 2021. And she was approaching this question of, the seat at the table, but from a perspective of being a woman of color and uh, entering the late night talk show world where she had been given a show by mm. one of the major networks in the US. Her question was more about the table that we're sitting at and not necessarily the chair and whether or not the design of the table is actually what will serve design and the rest of the organization as best as it possibly could. And I think what we see as designers is that we've actually come from a position of being agitators and activists and we're creative people. And often that rubs up against the entrenched status quo, the boys clubs, the other things that have permeated enterprise in particular for a very long time. And this question of the seat of the table, I suppose, is an interesting one because 
is it even a table that we want to sit at in its current form? And what power do we cede that we have that we might not recognize that we do have at the moment by capitulating to the status quo and just quietly taking our seat at that table? So I'm very much interested in the design of the table. I'm very much interested in this idea that, in fact, I believe your good friend Peter Morville and I spoke about, about design as activism and what it means and where our power really comes from. So I think that there are some, some big questions about the table, the seat, design as activism, those sort of things that would benefit design if we could get more clear on just where our power comes from and what we should do about it. So you're going as far as to ask, can we design the table? Or, yes. or is it even a table? Yeah, well, mm -hmm. that's a good question as well, isn't it? And if if it isn't, then what is it? And what do we want it to be? I mean, our, people talk about design superpowers, and, and there are many. I think one of the concerns I have about design at the moment is it's becoming, particularly with the rise of product design, and I don't have anything against product designers at all. I'm not wanting to establish uh, lines here, but I worry that the way in which design is currently being treated, particularly in big tech, is that it is becoming more of a doing only craft than a stage craft or a state craft that Uday Gajinda, mm -hmm. who's also been on the podcast and I know is a curator of design at scale, speaks of. Mm -hmm. And and so, there, yeah, there are some big questions there about the influence and, and how we seek to wield that and what the outcomes are we seek as a result of that. So are we just playing a status game for the sake of playing a status game? Or are we really truly trying to lead our, our enterprises by being that voice of the user and by being that, that I suppose, that squeaky wheel mm -hmm. and, and not towing that line? You know, there's some, there, is, there is power in not capitulating to the status quo. You know, it's interesting. Um, you're making me think a lot about Lisa Welchman. I don't know if you know Lisa. She's one of our authors. She's a um, recognized expert in digital governance. That's what she's made her, her career of. And um, she did her book, uh, Managing Chaos, for us uh, on that topic. And one of her critiques of, of designers is that we try to do too much we try to be everything. We think we are more powerful than we are. Um, and that may sound like it flies in the face of what you were just suggesting, but I wonder if there's really, the issue is more along the lines of designers not, design should be ambitious. Design should do all the things you were just describing, but I think part of the challenge is individual designers cannot some of us can be activists and some of us can be caretakers and some of us can be COOs and other operations gurus. And these are all important ways to essentially wield power for good. But um, maybe it's just becoming so big that any one of us cannot be all those things. So that's, that's what I, I'm struggling with right now. I don't know if that lines up with any of the, uh, any of the other questions that you're encountering. Well, what comes to mind for me when I hear that is this call for clarity 
and being really clear on what your own agency is and what that enables you to do. You're right that not everyone is going to be in a position where they're going to be able to change the world, you know, for example, like Steve Jobs did, you know, to give a really popular example. And and that and 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 that is just an unfortunate reality. But the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, this is coming back to a conversation I had recently with Susan Weinschenk, Dr. Susan Weinschenk. The stories we tell ourselves are so critical in shaping the behavior, the beliefs that we hold and the behavior that we then play out. And I would suggest that it's within everyone's ability to do what Susan suggested to me, which is just evaluate what the story is that you're telling yourself. You know, the story of I'm a designer, I'm just a cog in a machine, I have no power here. And just look at that. Just try and get some objectivity to that. And one of the ways you can do that is actually to write that story down. What do I hold to be true? What am I telling myself when I wake up and before I get to work? What, are, what, are, what is that story? And then you can look at that and you can think, is that story something that I really believe in? Is that something that, that is serving me? in my life and serving the type of objectives that I'm trying to achieve with it and through my craft? And I think if the answer is no, you then have to confront yourself about that story. And then you have the, the brilliant opportunity to write a new one. And Susan shared this with me as well. All you do is literally just write down a new story. And the context in which Susan was t sharing this with me is she has recently just recovered from breast cancer and you know this was a a very personal story that she told me and I know she's spoken about it publicly before so hopefully she's okay with me speaking about it here but she she told me the story of how reframing her, how she was thinking and feeling about her cancer helped her to enjoy her life more she's not suggesting that it's the thing that 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 solved the cancer problem but it was definitely something that helped her to feel more control and more empowered in the way in which she was tackling such a such a huge, huge and challenging situation. So I think the stories we tell ourselves, it all, it all starts with a question, you know, what is the story that we're telling ourselves? What is the story we want to be telling ourselves? And it's within everyone's power, I would hope, I, I sincerely hope, to write a better story. And you never know. You never know by writing that new story and taking some different actions who you might inspire to also think differently and to take different actions. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to this point of view that we don't have the ability to change the world. It might be the magnitude that's in question, but it is within all of our power to change that story if it's not serving us. That's. A, a wonderful place to 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 wrap this up. Um, although, if we had more time, I'd love to plumb a bit into the stories, um, like the one that Susan has told and that clearly inspired you, and how they interact with the the kinds of things that you're learning through these many interviews you've been doing through Brave UX, namely coming up with great questions. I'm I'm sure there's an interesting relationship between story and question. Um, Thank you for mentioning Susan, by the way. I always like to, to 
to have someone or something uh, that gets a little uh, light shown on them uh, at the end of this podcast. So you, you've very gracefully segued into that without maybe even realizing it. Brennan, it, it, regardless, it's just an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to your presentation at Design at Scale 2022. It's going to be a virtual conference taking place June 8th through 10th. I will put in the plug that we do virtual really, really well, folks. Um, and uh, I hope you'll take a look at the program, designitscale.co. Um, uh, Brendan is a part of it, and he is going to be talking about the questions that um, are shaping us and will shape us in the years to come. Brendan, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Lou. It's been my pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to Design at Scale 2022. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen, and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.